0: Bibles, if you would, this morning, turn to Philippians chapter 4 or open your device to Philippians chapter 4. That's, that's hard for me to say, but uh, it's reality. Our series, Thankful, Rejoicing in the Riches of God, you know, every day it seems, you uh, Somewhere along the way throughout the day, I am reminded of just how thankful I should be. Uh, God has been so very good to me and to my family, to this church, Uh, and yet what we find throughout Scripture, and and I I say this because my my story is not in any way unique. Uh, I believe everybody that knows the Lord probably has a time or multiple times throughout the day where we're reminded that we should be a thankful people. Uh, and that doesn't mean that everything always goes the way that we want it to, uh, that we always get what we want when we want it. Uh, doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that life is always easy or pain-free or tragedy-free. I mean, this week has been certainly an example that that certainly is not the case. Uh, we experience hardship. We experience tragedy. We experience sorrow. We experience loss. Uh, And yet through it all, we are called, and what we find in Scripture, Christians are called over and over and over again to thank God uh, for who He is and for what He does. And of course, what we're going to be looking at here in just a moment in Philippians 4, we'll we'll begin reading in just a little bit in verse 10 there, we'll read down through verse 13, uh, is really... uh, an illustration of Paul's thankfulness for the church and how the church supported him in his ministry and, and, and at a time when he really needed this support. You know, Paul is, is in a Roman prison. And, and back in Paul's day... Uh, It wasn't like today where prisoners were lined up three times a day and marched to the mess hall and served a meal. If you didn't have people on the outside of the prison coming and taking care of those on the inside of the prison, well, they just didn't get taken care of. And so Paul was very much dependent upon the support of others. And, of course, the Philippian church was one of those others Uh, that uh, went out of their way whenever they were able to do so to make sure that Paul had everything that he could need in what was a very difficult situation for him there under uh, Roman authority, imprisoned by Nero. Uh, And yet, he writes uh, of his great rejoicing in the Lord as a result of this wonderful gift uh, of support that the Philippian church had sent him. Uh, and so he, he writes in this brief paragraph to express his thanks to them for their generosity. Uh, and I think that that's really what we need to just keep our minds focused on today. Uh, God has put people all around us who, who meet our needs every day in a variety of ways. Uh, and we should always be thankful for those people. And God has also put people all around us who need us to meet their needs, Every day. And we should be equally thankful for the opportunities that God has for us to, to give toward the support and encouragement uh, of someone else. As we're going to see in this brief paragraph, this brief study this morning, when we give generously, sacrificially to meet the need of another person, you know what, not only does it meet their need, but, but the far greater result is the benefit that comes back to us. And that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, So very thankful for the Philippian church's generosity. But he knows that far greater than any benefit he will derive from the gift that they sent is the benefit that they will derive from their faithfulness and their generosity to him. And so again, he speaks of his great joy. And it, of course, is centered in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Uh, We should always rejoice greatly, exceedingly, abundantly in the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read verses 10 through 13. Words will be on the screen here at the front if you did not bring a Bible or a device. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. For you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful today for you. And I pray that our thankfulness would rejoice or would result in a great rejoicing in you, a a gladness, a happiness, a satisfaction, a contentment that is evident to anyone who chooses to to look upon our lives. Father, I I pray that we would be characterized, known for uh, the contentment that we have in you, And again, Father, we know that that doesn't mean that everything is going to go exactly the way we want it to. But, Father, that it means that in everything, as, as Paul says here, we can trust you. Uh, you hold us in your hands. We are safe. We are secure. We are loved. Uh, our future uh, is bright, far brighter than we can even imagine. And so I ask you today to speak to my heart, speak to the hearts of each one who's listening. And Lord, I pray that you would just fill us to the brim uh, with thankfulness today. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to see a few things this morning in this text that I hope will will speak to your heart, encourage you, perhaps challenge you, you know, uh, Often when we speak of of contentment, and that's really what this passage is all about. As Christians, we are called or really commanded to rejoice. It's not an option for us. Uh, Over and over and over again, we're told to be thankful, to be happy, to be content. What we need to understand, of course, is that we serve a happy, satisfied, content God. Do you know God is happy? I mean, he's happy. He's always been happy. And we as his children should be happy children, happy in the Lord, satisfied, again, courageous, content. Uh, and the reason for that is that we are, as we've already said, we are secure in God's providence. And, and, and what I, I mean by that is that God has us in mind all the time. Uh, sometimes we emphasize, especially at, uh, at Easter, as Christ is on the cross, that there's even a song that was written uh, that as he was dying on the cross, I was on his mind. He was thinking of me. And, and, and the reality is for us that no matter what is going on in any particular day, no matter what struggle or what great joy we may be experiencing, God is thinking of us. God's thoughts are always toward us. You understand that, I hope. I think sometimes that we lose sight of that. We think that there are days when we're struggling and really having a hard time that somehow God has forgotten us or he's got himself occupied with something or someone else and he's just kind of lost sight of us. That is never the case for Christians. God always has you on his mind. You are always walking toward the fulfillment of God's purposes for you. Because God sees to that. That's what the providence of God is really all about. It speaks of God's concern or his care for his creation and his involvement in guiding it or us to its desired end or purpose. You will accomplish the goals that God has set out for you, you will do those good works that God has prepared beforehand for you. And you know why? Because God's going to see to it that you do. We're secure in his providence. Paul mentions the concern of the Philippian church for him. You've revived your concern for me, he says. That, that word concern speaks of really the way one thinks about another person. It's, it's about the, the thoughts that we have for one another. Paul was expressing thanks for the, the, the Philippian church thinking of him. You, you thought of me in my need and you, you moved in my behalf. Uh, your thoughts, as he's going to remind us, have always been with me, even though there was a time when you were unable to, to act on those thoughts. You weren't able to do what you desired to do in my behalf, but now you have. You have revived your concern for me. And again, God's thoughts, his thoughts are always on us. Uh, Jeremiah you know, 29, 11, that great verse from the Old Testament that says, I know the thoughts I have for you, thoughts for welfare and not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. This is God expressing the fact that he is always thinking about us. He knows where we are. He knows what we need. He knows what difficulties or sorrows we are going through. And he's on our, he's, we're on his mind. He's, he's thinking of us. He's moving in our behalf. Uh, so, the Philippians were concerned. They weren't worried about Paul, perhaps from time to time. He was in a bad place. But they were, they were concerned. They, they were thinking of him. They, they desired to be a help and a comfort, a, a a source of of supply for him in his time of difficulty, and not only in his times of difficulty. You know, I think sometimes we get the idea that, well, you know, God really ramps up his concern for us when we're going through a tough time, and indeed he does. But God's concerned about us all the time, whether we are going through any hardship at the moment or not. And so that's what that word concern speaks of. It speaks of one's disposition or desire towards someone else. Paul has... Uh, people who have a a desire for him. They want him to be well taken care of. They want him to be well fed. They want him to have warm clothing when it gets cold in that prison. They, They want him to be comforted. Same thing is true for us when it comes to God. God wants us to have the things that we need and he provides those for us. So Paul simply expresses the fact that though there may have been a time when the Philippians were unable to do for him what they wanted to do for him, the thought was always there in their mind. They were always thinking of Paul. He said, You're, you simply had no opportunity. Uh, we go through periods in our life when we think that uh, we're having to do without some things, go through periods that are, that are perhaps harder or more difficult than at our other times. And we, and we wonder about that because we know God never changes, right? God's love for us never changes. So why is it that we go through ups and downs in our Christian life? Well, again, it's the, the very fact that God uh, has a plan. He has seasons uh, that we go through. Uh, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 3115, My times are in your hands. Uh, everything that we go through, every up, every down, uh, it's all according to God's providential plan. And through it all, God's concern, God's thoughts are with us. You know, we have an expression. Uh, it's the thought that counts, right? You ever heard of that? You probably said that. And you know how we usually use that term? <laughs> we get some gift that we think, well, what in the world am I going to do with this? <laughs> well, it's the thought that counts, and then we want to ask, what were you thinking, right? <laughs> well, the idea behind this word concern is, is exactly that. Paul is thankful for the gift that he received. He's going to be blessed, whether it was, a, it was a monetary gift. They had taken up a collection. And so they brought this monetary gift to Paul. And by means of using that monetary gift, Paul would, would get a good meal and perhaps a good night's sleep in, in, in a warm cloak, uh, But Paul wanted the Philippian church to know, he wanted his brothers and sisters in Christ to know that as grateful as he was for their gift, it was really their thinking of him that that meant more to him than anything. Their affection for him, the the fact that they, they, they had him in their minds and in their hearts. And again, obviously there had been a time when they had been unable to get their gift from Philippi to Paul in Rome wasn't as easy as it is today, and he just wanted them to know, look, I know you've had me in your mind. I know you've been thinking of me, and that means far more to me than any gift you could ever send to me, and and again, that should be our attitude as we think of the Lord. The reality is, is that for we Western, we American Christians, we live in the wealthiest place in the world. And even the poorest of us experience great material blessings compared to the rest of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. But you know what I've found in my own experience? Is that it seems to me that often the people who have the least in the way of financial wealth are the happier people. And we who have such great wealth, we're just never satisfied. It's never quite enough. Paul is saying, thank you for this gift. I mean, as he sat in a Roman prison cell, chained to a Roman guard, uh, thank you for remembering me. Thank you for thinking of me. The fact that you have thought of me means more than any gift you could ever send to me. And again, that's the way we should think of of God. We should be so very thankful that, that God's thoughts are for us, for our good, as he said through Jeremiah To give us a future and a hope. And that everything that we go through is in accordance with his providential timing for our life. And so, because of this security, because this is the reality, this is true for every Christian, we we just need to acknowledge it. All right, It isn't just true for some Christians. It wasn't just true for guys like Paul, super apostles. Uh, This was true for every Christian. What Paul was saying to the Philippian church was as much true for them as it was for him. We're all secure in God's providence. We are all in His thoughts. We are all progressing according to His timing. And so we should be satisfied. Paul was a, a satisfied man. He said in verse 11, and, and not that I am speaking of being in need. If anybody was in need, Paul was in need at this moment. From a physical standpoint, from a material standpoint, Paul was in need. He had nothing at this point other than what was provided for him by those on the outside. So he was in need, but we hear in his words this deep satisfaction with God. The reality is Paul knew that he was exactly where God wanted him to be. Now that would be hard for us, wouldn't it, if we were sitting in prison to think that this is where God wants me to be? Paul writes about that, by the way, and he says as a result of his imprisonment, the gospel had gone into places that it never would have gone before. And So he's happy. He's satisfied. This is God's provision for him. God was supplying his needs right there In that prison, so he could say, I'm not speaking of of being in need. Thank you for your gift. It's been a blessing to me. Thank you for your gift. It's been a comfort to me. Thank you for this gift. It has provided me food and drink and warmth and comfort. But I'm not really in need. God supplies my every need, God supplies your every need. Psalm 23, of course psalm that many of us have memorized over the years starts with these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That word want means I shall not be in need. If the Lord is your shepherd, he provides everything that you need all the time. We just need to understand and accept that. And all too often we find ourselves dissatisfied, discontent, because we think that somehow God is holding out on us. Or we look at somebody else's life. Now, this is the worst thing you can do. Look at somebody else's life and think, wow, God's really blessing them. Why isn't He blessing me like that? But you know, as you're doing that, there's probably somebody looking at your life and thinking, wow, God's really blessing that person's life. Why aren't they blessing my life like that? We should always be satisfied with God's provision, whether it is much or whether it is little. It's his supply. He knows what we need. He gives us what we need. He provides everything that we need to live the life that he has called us to. Paul says, I've I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I guess the question for us this morning is this. Have we learned that lesson? Have we learned that in whatever situation we are to be content? That word content, by the way, is a word that Paul borrows uh, from the Stoic philosophers. And to the Stoic philosophers, to be content, meant to be self-sufficient, to not need anybody or anything. That's not the way Paul uses this word. Matter of fact, he he redefines it for the Christian. Christians are not to be self-sufficient. We get that idea here in America, don't we? We see people who perhaps are, are struggling to make financial ends. You know, and our immediate thought is, well, if they just worked a little harder like me. If they just studied a little longer like me. We are prone to be people who are satisfied in our self-sufficiency. Paul uses this word not like that. Because Paul wasn't satisfied in his self sufficiency. He was satisfied in the sufficiency of God's grace. Paul knew that his satisfaction rested firmly upon the foundation of God's provision for him. He had learned in whatever situation to be content, to be satisfied with the sufficiency. Of Christ. And Paul was a guy, of course, that you know that had a, a thorn in his flesh, right? He had some affliction. We're not exactly sure what that affliction was, but it was serious enough that it hindered Paul in his ministry. And on three different occasions, he prayed that God would take that thorn away from him. But God told him no. My grace is sufficient for you. So again, Paul's not writing from a position of someone who has never experienced hardship. Again, he's writing from a Roman prison cell. He's writing as a guy who had been, my goodness, he'd been beaten on multiple occasions. He'd been run out of town. He'd been stoned and left for dead. Paul knew what it was to suffer hardship, and yet he is a man thoroughly satisfied With God's provision, he had had learned. The idea there is that he had come to know through his own personal experience. He had learned that no matter what I'm going through, whether I'm adrift at sea, whether I'm stranded on some isolated island, wherever I am, whatever I'm going through, whatever difficulty I may experience, God's going to provide for me and I'm satisfied with that provision. You know, before Paul was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, the Pharisee. He was as educated as any man in his day, and as a result, he was a respected Pharisee. He was known. He was a celebrity in his day. He had wealth. Uh, he had it all. He was, he was at the top of the social pinnacle, so to speak, When he received Christ as Savior and Lord on that Damascus road, all that changed. He was no longer accepted among that Pharisaical group, and I'm sure he was happy about that. But nonetheless, he knew what it was to experience life at the very top, and he knew what it was to to be humbled, to be hated. When he first came to know Christ and first began to associate with the other apostles, they were suspect of him. They They weren't so sure. They knew knew his reputation. They knew about Saul. But he had learned how to live in whatever situation and to be content, to rest in the sufficiency of God's grace. My grace is sufficient for you. And, And you know what? We've got countless examples of people resting in the grace of God right here in this room today. I mean... Can you lose your mother to cancer and stand and rejoice in the Lord's goodness through Christ who strengthens me? Just ask Brittany. Can you lose a teenage daughter? Ask Barbara Shotwell. Only through the grace of God, the sufficiency of Christ in her life. Some of you are at that point in your lives, your health is beginning to suffer. Things are changing. You're having to make decisions that you knew would be coming at some point in your life, but you always thought they were way down the road and suddenly they're upon you. Can I get through this? Through the grace of God, you can. Through God's grace, satisfied with his provision, we all learn that whatever situation I'm in, I can be content. Paul talks about a secret. You know, the the secret to to being satisfied throughout all our life with the ups and downs that we will inevitably face uh, is, is simply to surrender to the purpose of God. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for my life. The purpose that God has for my life in many ways will correspond to the purpose that he has for your life. We're all to live to bring honor and glory to God, right? But the way that will work out in our day-to-day lives will be very different. We'll all experience life as we seek to honor and glorify God in the manifold ways that God gives us and gifts us and gives us talents. Uh, It'll be different for all of us. But nonetheless, to be satisfied, to be content. We just have to surrender to his purpose. And here's the the secret. Paul talks about this secret that he has learned. The secret to surrendering to God's purpose is just to remember that God's purpose for you is good. No matter how hard it may be, it's good because God is good. So we simply surrender to his will. That's what Paul is talking about there. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. In any and every circumstance, in each circumstance, in every circumstance, in all circumstances. And again, Paul's writing this to encourage his brothers and sisters in Philippi. They had sent this gift, and they were not a wealthy church. As a matter of fact, Paul holds up the gifts that the Macedonian churches gave, uh, which Philippi is one of them, as an example to the Corinthian church, which was a wealthy church. And he said, look, these guys gave out of their poverty and extreme affliction. They gave not only up to their ability, but beyond their ability. So he uses them as this example to encourage his fellow believers. And then he says to the Thessalonican church, he says, give thanks in all things. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You and I, if we are to experience this kind of contentment, this thankfulness, we simply have to surrender to the purpose of God, to know that his will for us is best. No matter what it means, his will is best. And of course, the wisdom that comes from surrendering to His will. Paul says, I've learned the secret. He had earlier said, I've learned uh, that in whatever situation I am to be content. Again, that, that word could be translated, I've discovered. Paul had come to know this contentment through his own personal experience. He wasn't writing from a theoretical position. He wasn't just surmising what it must be like to be in need and to experience the the provision of God. Paul had found himself in need time and time again. He had experienced hardship. He had experienced loss. He had experienced struggles and tragedy. So he had learned through his own experience. This word, learned, learned the secret, is really just one word in the original Greek. And it means to be initiated. Paul had come to understand something that really only, of us, only those of us within the body of Christ can understand. This is a, this secret that Paul learned is a family secret. We can share it with people who don't know the Lord, who don't claim Christ as Savior and Lord, but, but they're not really going to understand it. They're the people that are going to look at us when we go through periods of loss and hardship and difficulty and they see us rejoicing in the Lord in spite of the difficulty. They're going to scratch their heads and wonder, how in the world can they do that? But we know, don't we? It's no no secret to us because we too have been initiated. We've, We've learned this secret because we've come to know Christ and we know that He loves us beyond anything that we can imagine. So Paul had learned the secret and we really have learned it, too. We've been initiated into the family. We know that we can trust our Heavenly Father. We know that trials and difficulties are simply God's way of teaching us that we can trust Him and that we can be thankful even in the midst of great hardship. So are you surrendered to God's purpose? You just need to surrender to God's purpose, whatever it is for your life. And then finally, Paul uses this wonderful verse 13. One of the first verses that I ever memorized as a Christian, and I think because it's short. (laughs) I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's something we just need to fix in our minds. We need to fix that in our experience. And, And let me just say this. This doesn't mean that I can just do anything I want to do. All right? God's not going to empower me to just do anything I choose to do. What Paul is saying here, he's been talking about the ups and downs of the Christian life. He's been talking about the, the mountaintop experiences and the, and the valley experiences. He's been talking about the, the, the struggles and the trials, the sorrows. That's what he's talking about here. I can do this. I can get through this through him who strengthens me. I can do it. It's not, it's not me. God empowers me. I do have power. Paul says, I can do these things. God assures me over and over of my ability to prevail, to succeed, to triumph, not just to survive, but to grow, to be strengthened through, to become more like Christ as a result of The hardships, the ups, the downs of the Christian life. That's what he's talking about. I I can do this. Whatever life throws at me, whatever God has called me to do, you ever wonder about, I think sometimes people are are hesitant to really give in to the call of God upon their lives because they think, I can't do that. I'm just not cut out for that. I'm not that strong. I'm not that articulate. I'm not that educated. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Well, you not about what you are. It's about who God is in you. <clears throat> you know, we tend to think of Paul and rightly so as being this almost superhuman Christian, right? I mean, nobody suffered like Paul apart from the Lord Jesus himself and, and, and lived to tell about it. Nobody could write such encouraging words, such profound, wise words from a Roman prison cell. I mean, and of course, this wasn't the first time he'd been in prison, remember? It was Paul and Silas who were in prison in Philippi, who were singing at midnight, who had the attention of all the other prisoners when God suddenly shook that place to its foundation. And the Roman jailer, thinking he had just lost his not only his job, but his life, said to Paul and to Silas, what what must I do to be like that? how, How can I have what you have? What must I do to be saved? That's the kind of lives that God desires us to live. Now, we may never see the inside of a prison cell, but we might. We may never suffer beatings and stonings, well, we might. You know, I think the, the most difficult thing for us is that we've been entrusted with a lot of wealth, and we're supposed to be thankful. It's hard sometimes to be thankful for the great wealth that God's entrusted to you. I mean, we read over and over and over again about the men and women in this nation who who acquired great sums of money, and it was never quite enough. Heck, I have a story from right here in this church. There was a man and his family who attended this church years ago. As faithful a man, as faithful a family as you'd ever want to meet. And as a young man, he started a business. And with what little the Lord provided him, let me tell you, he was faithful. He brought his tithes and his offerings to the church faithfully, consistently, generously gave to the work of the Lord. but When God finally blessed his business to the point that it just exploded and this guy became genuinely a man of great wealth, you know what? He stopped tithing. And when he was asked about that, he said, well, you know, when I didn't have anything, it was easy for me to tithe, but I, I've got too much to tithe now. I can't, I can't tithe that much money. I can't give that much money away. Let me tell you, we are wealthy, church. We can do all things as we're strengthened by his power. Because it's not our strength, but it's his strength. Paul's ability came through him, through Christ who strengthens me. It was the presence of God in his life. You know, the reality is... There wasn't one moment that Paul was ever out of the presence of God. Uh, I've heard, you know, you hear stories about modern-day prisons and how terrible they are, and, and they are. Nothing compared to what this Roman prison was. It was a terrible place, filthy, dirty, dark, damp. I mean, every discomfort you can imagine, cold, it was. But there wasn't one minute of one day, not one hour of one night that God wasn't with Paul, enabling him to do all things, to to endure those days until he could be taken home. You know, Paul never really, there's there's questions about whether or not he got out of prison. But ultimately, he ended up back in prison, if he did, and was Beheaded. Not the end that we often think we deserve, right, as faithful Christians. That was Paul's end, but not really his end. It was just the end of his life here. He went on to be with the Lord, which he had already said was far better. If I have to choose between staying here and going home to be with the Lord, I want to go home to be with the Lord far better. We don't always think like that. Because we're just simply not as content in the Lord as we should be. So our strength, our ability, is empowered by the God who lives within us. The power that I need to do what God has called me to do, to love my wife, to serve my church, to raise my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, doesn't come from me. It comes from the Lord. It comes from God who lives within me. He's the one who strengthens me. It's his presence that enables me to be satisfied, to be content. So if contentment is only found in Christ Jesus, then the question that remains for us today is simply this. Are you in Christ Jesus? And what I mean by that is simply this. Has there been a time in your life when you have realized that you are a sinner separated from God because of your sin. And in that moment, you have turned from your sin and repentance and cried out to God to be forgiven and saved. Has that, has that taken place in your life? And if it has, then we should rejoice greatly in the Lord. We are safe. We are secure. We should surrender to his purpose and experience the strength of his presence in our lives each and every day. But if you can't say yes to that question, if there's never been a time that you've seen yourself as a sinner and turned from your sin and received Christ as Savior and Lord, then you need to do that. It's the greatest decision you could make today. It's the greatest thing that will ever happen to you in your life.